0: Thank you, Debbie. Good morning. How are you doing? Get this all situated. There we go. Okay. Like Debbie said, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. First John 3, 1 and 2 says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Beloved, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when he appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Have you ever been told that you look like somebody? Anybody ever had that compliment slash unsure if it's actually a compliment given to you? Depending on the age of the person you're being compared to, it may not always feel like the compliment that somebody's trying to give. I had that a lot. People always said that I looked like my dad. And when I was a teenager, my dad was in his late 50s, early 60s with a mustache. And he liked to wear what we would affectionately call Cosby sweaters, which if you remember those, very big and poofy and lots of different patchwork colors all over them. There's a couple of pictures up there. Uh, When I was a teenager, I didn't find that to be quite the compliment that I think people were meaning it to be. Uh, You see, that's actually my dad preaching. Um, I hope that I have better fashion sense than he did. Uh, That shirt's pretty amazingly hideous. But at least you know where I get my facial expressions from, right? Uh, There's obviously some family resemblance. I'm not going to say we're twins, but there's something there that you can pick up. Uh, you can tell that we're related a little bit. You know, as I've gotten older, I've started to, rel- to realize that that wasn't quite the backhanded compliment that I thought that it was when I was a teenager. It's actually a pretty big compliment. Whenever I go up to my parents' church uh, now as an adult, people always come up to me. and The first thing they say is, wow, you look more and more like your dad every time I see you. And now I've realized where the compliment is in that. Uh, and it's hard to push it aside. It's true. I do look like my dad. There's no way to avoid it. Uh, but now I could see the truth in that because for people in my dad's church, who he was their pastor for 20, 30, some even 40 years, for them to say that I look like him is to give me like the biggest compliment that they could give. It's to say that I look like somebody who they love, respect, that they miss now because he's gone. It's, it's a huge compliment that they're giving to me when they're saying that. This morning, we are finishing our series on overcoming. We're looking at the book of 1 John, this letter that John, one of Jesus' disciples, his, uh, an apostle, as we called him later on, that he wrote to a church in Ephesus, and John wanted this church to know three things really, really deeply. He wanted them to know these three things, who Jesus is. He wanted them to know how much God loved them, and he wanted them to know who they are. That's what he's in, he is passionate about sharing with them in this letter. So who are they? Well, he says that they're loved by God and that they are God's children. And he repeats it over and over and over again. Other people, he says in the verses that I started off reading, may not recognize the family resemblance, but that's only because they haven't met your father. If they were to meet your father, they would recognize the resemblance right away. It's uncanny. It's unavoidable. Once you've seen the father, you would see it. Mark McIntosh wrote that the reflection of the parents in the faces of their children, the exclamation, he looks like you, is a reflection of the way the Trinity looks at creation and sees their image. We do know that we will be like him was the greatest compliment that John could give to this church because he was saying to them, I know who your dad is and you look a lot like him. I see the similarities in you and your father. You look like your father. Let me tell you a story. Not about me, about somebody else, but I'll try and tell it like it's my own, right? Uh, So here's the story. It's about a pastor and his wife. They went on vacation to Tennessee. They're having dinner, and they see an older man walking along. You know, making the rounds. You know what it looks like. We've all been there, checking out all the tables. He doesn't work there, but he talks to everybody anyway. And so he's going around, and the pastor, in a moment of true pastor-ness, was on vacation and did not want to be bothered. I can understand that a little bit. Sometimes you're like, I just don't want to talk to anybody. So he sees this man walking up. He's like, how can I dodge him? How can I dodge him? The guy comes up, and he's like, hi, how are you doing? Well, what's your name? What do you do? the pastor thinks, oh, I know. I know how I can get him to walk away. I'm a preacher. Nobody wants to talk to a preacher, believe me. You say that one, you're gone. They're gone. It's easy. The old man instead, he pulls out the chair and he says, great, I've got a story for you. And he plops down and he begins to tell him his whole life story. He tells him about being uh, born in the early 1900s in a small town in the south and not knowing who his father was. He said he never met his father, didn't even know his name, nothing to call him by. And there was a lot of shame tied up in that. There's still some shame tied up in it, but especially back then in a small town in the south, that would be pretty big. And so this boy grew up just cringing whenever he would get to know people because he knew that inevitable question was going to come up. So he tried to avoid it as much as possible. He heard there was a new pastor in town, though. And he wanted to go check him out, because it's a small town, and that's as much theatrics as you can get in a small town, I guess. And so he went and visited the church, but he was smart for an eight-year-old boy. He got there ten minutes late, and he left ten minutes early. I'm not going to ask which of us have done that a few times, uh, but we all know that that's a pretty good way to avoid getting asked any questions, right? So he would arrive ten minutes late, leave ten minutes early, and he started going every Sunday, in, out. Avoiding everybody so that he didn't have to get asked anything about who he was. Until one Sunday. He's sitting there and he gets so caught up in the sermon that he forgets that he needs to leave. And so he's still there. The pastor ends, he prays, everybody starts standing up and the boy's like, no, no, what am I going to do? And so he starts to run. You know, he's ducking and he's weaving. He's going all the way through, avoiding arms. He gets to the door and a hand grabs his shoulder. And the boy looks up and it's the pastor. And the pastor looks down at him and he says, son, what's your name? Who's your father? And inside this eight-year-old boy just starts to die a little bit. Because immediately the first question he asks is the thing that he didn't want to talk about. And as he's standing there, not wanting to look up, not wanting to say anything, the pastor looks down at him. He says, I know who you are. He goes, I see the family resemblance. He said, you're God's son. I recognize you. The old man stood up. He pushed his chair, and he said, sir, those words changed my life that day. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. We don't know what we will be like when he appears, but we do know that we will be like him. This morning, for the rest of the service, I want us to forget that we're adults, okay? I want us to embrace the reality that we are kids with a Father. A Father who loves us, a Father who chose us on purpose. No accidents about it. I want us to fully embrace our Father this morning. As I was preparing for this morning, I kept hearing God say, Stephen, the one thing I want you to make sure that you tell them is tell them that they look like me. So, friends, here's your truth for today He looks at you and He says, You look like Him, you are His. I know some of us have had rough weeks. I know others of us have probably had good weeks. Wherever we are in that spectrum, here's your reality. You look like him. You've been chosen by a father who loves you deeply. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for that truth. I thank you that that you've chosen us, that you've called us your children. Not accidentally, not out of uh, pity, not out of anything like that, but because you love us immensely. And I pray this morning that we will know your love really deeply. I pray for each one of us here, God. Help us to set aside all the things that might be going on in our heads and our hearts that would distract us from the truth of your love. Help us to engage, to encounter you this morning. I just say that we, we love you, Father. We are so grateful for you and for you bringing us in to your family. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, open up to Romans. Romans 8, 15 through 17. If you don't have a Bible, we have them in the back, up front, if you want to walk in front of everybody. No, I do think it's a little funny that we have them up front because nobody is ever going to walk, you know, whatever. Uh, but we have Bibles that you can grab at any time if you want to, uh, or you can look at the screen. Let's read this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So what does it mean to call God Father? Why do we even call God Father? Well, Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, he tells us what it means. It means that we're adopted, that we've been chosen as sons and daughters by God. Now, some of us know what adoption looks like. Some of us have been adopted. Others of us have adopted kids. Sarah and I are in that boat. We're in the process of adopting. They've been with us for 14 or 15 months. It feels like 14 or 15 years. No. Uh, It's like what Sarah always says. She's like, sometimes it just feels like we've been married for so long. And I'm like, thank you. Um, (laughs) Love you too. No, Uh, But anyway, we've had kids for a little bit. uh, And the judge hasn't even signed the dotted line. Uh, We're still waiting for that process to be finalized. But there are kids. I can tell you that much. There's no question about it. I don't know the difference between biological kids and adopted kids from a parental, parental perspective. I don't have that experience, but I can tell you that there's no question in my mind or in my heart that there are kids. I love them. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing that's going to change that at all. It's just what it is. It's the fact of it. And in the same way, God doesn't have to remind himself that he needs to love us. It's just what it is. He's signed it. He, he believes it. He has accepted us as his kids. There's no question about it. Just because we're adopted doesn't mean he loves us less than his bio kids, so to speak. We are all brought into his family. He chose us. You know, there's something unique that happens in this process of adoption that is a little different than when you have bio kids. When you're adopting uh, now, you go to this website for the state, it's weird. I'll just say that. It's a weird process in some ways. And you look through all these profiles. And you choose... Which kid's profile you like the most? Sound like online dating? Kind of feels like it a little bit. So you go and you read up all this stuff, and then you send your favorites to the social worker. They talk with another social worker. They get back to you. It's like online matchmaking behind the scenes. It's great. They send it back to you, and then you make your choices from all that information that's been placed in front of you. Again, it is kind of weirdly like online dating, but the point is we chose our kids knowing a lot of stuff. We didn't know everything. Nobody does, believe me. But we knew a lot of stuff. We knew their history, a lot of it. We knew if that was good or bad. Uh, We knew uh, the people that were attached to them, what kind of relationships those would be. We knew the things that they loved. We Didn't really know any of the things that they hated. They didn't give us that information, but we knew the things that they liked. We knew their accomplishments. We knew a lot about them. We were given a lot of pages that told us a lot of things about our kids. We knew a lot, and we chose them knowing a lot. F.F. Bruce wrote that in the Roman world, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to continue his name, and to inherit everything. He was not inferior to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. Instead, there's a chance that he might enjoy his father's affection more fully and reproduce his father's character more worthily because he was chosen. You were chosen. Is it different? Yes, of course. But is it less than? Not in the least. Because you were chosen with a full knowledge of everything. Jesus read the write-up on you, and he still chose you. He knew about your past before him. He knew what that entailed. He knew who your people were. He knew what had happened in your past. He knew all of that. He knew the good things about you. He knew uh, how you loved others, how you cared for others. He knew your accomplishments, the things you had done in your life. He even knew what you liked. He He knew that SpongeBob was your favorite TV show not really. Uh your father chose you with full knowledge of every single thing in your life and he still chose you. And his affection is not any less because he knew that. In fact, there's a chance that it's even more because he knew all of it ahead of time. There weren't any surprises. What does it mean to call God father? It means that you were chosen specifically with a full knowledge of everything. And he still calls you his own. So why do we call God Father? Well, that's even easier, because Jesus did. And he taught us to. In Mark fourteen thirty six, Jesus is praying before he's arrested, before he's taken to the cross, and he says this, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. There's been a lot written about this term, Abba. A lot written. The, the loose translation is simply that it just means father. Some people have said that it, it's a more like intimate and personal term, kind of like calling him dad or daddy, whichever way you want to go on that. Others have said that it's, you know, it, it's informal enough that we get to call him father. Like, why do we need to take it to another level? Maybe you fit in that camp. You're like. I don't know why we need to make everything informal. Uh, why, why do we need to go to that spot? Isn't it enough that we could just call the creator of everything, Father? Can't we consider that good enough? And you know, I'm fine with either one of those, to be honest with you. You can pick and choose. If you want to call him Daddy, great. If you want to call him Father, great. You choose what's good for you. And here's why I'm fine with either one of those. As Eugene Peterson said, I never stop being a child in the presence of my Father. Because intimacy does not preclude reverence. Intimacy does not eliminate awe. When I'm in the presence of my father, there's room for both intimacy and awe. There's space for all of it. I was thinking about, for me, which kind of parental grandparent figure fit this the most for me as I was a kid. And for me, it was my grandpa on my dad's side. Uh, Herman Pete Watson, uh, he was, there he is, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he was 70 when I was born, uh, so he was old, always slightly older when I knew him, uh, with some of the quirks of being slightly older when I knew him. Um, for instance, this is my forever picture of him, that lived in Phoenix, Arizona, where it is... Kind of ridiculously hot in the summer, if you've ever been. We would go like every summer, which is torture. Because um, it's 110 outside and like 130 un- in the shade. Uh, so it was, it was pretty hot. And for some reason, my grandparents' house didn't always, they didn't have AC in every room. Why? I have no idea. It was available. I did not grow up in the, you know, the 30s. Like, this was an option for them. But uh, they didn't have AC, so my grandpa never wore a shirt around home ever. I mean, I honestly don't even know what it looks like now. (laughs) Sometimes he wore a shirt, but not very often. So my image of him is sitting in his recliner, sitting in his chair, shirt off, telling stories, holding court. That was my grandpa. He would tell stories about all kinds of things, tell stories about growing up on a farm in Missouri and fishing. He would tell stories about playing minor league baseball in the 30s in that contract offer that he got from the Cincinnati Reds when my grandma was pregnant with my dad. He would tell stories about leading people to Jesus because my grandpa found Jesus when he was 50 and he was just passionate about it after that. His life changed so dramatically. He led hundreds of people to Jesus, and he would tell us about all the people that he was talking to and discipling and pointing to Jesus. That was my grandpa. And I loved being at their house. I felt so comfortable when I was there. I felt like I was known, like I could just be me. It was great. It was kind of that, that space for me. Uh, but I was also in awe of him. I mean, he was really a legend in my mind in a lot of ways. But I never felt conflicted between the two. I felt like it was perfectly good to be both in awe of him and to feel intimately uh, personal in his space to be myself. There was never a conflict going on between those two points. In fact, when, when he would sit and focus just on me I was like on cloud nine. It was the best spot I could be to have him showing all of his affection, all of his attention on me. Friends, I don't really care if you call God Father or if you call him Daddy. It doesn't really matter to me. But if you don't let him place his full attention on you, you're missing it let him place his full attention, everything that he has on you. Let him pour his full love onto you. That's what he wants to do. He can be both intimate and awe-inspiring at the same time, but let him pour it all on you. Let him be that for you. Because when he places his full attention on you, everything's different. It might not change immediately, but it becomes different. When you're in a place of sorrow and he places his full attention on you, things begin to change. Things become different. When you're in a place of joy and he puts his full attention on you, things begin to change. They begin to be different. Again, it doesn't mean that it's instantaneous, but it means you're going to be different by encountering the full attention of your father. As Henry Nowen said, I know that there is not yet peace everywhere, that all pain has not yet been taken away, but still I see people turning and returning home. I hear voices that pray. I notice moments of forgiveness and I witness many signs of hope. I don't have to wait until all is well, but I can celebrate every little hint of the kingdom that is at hand. Take great joy in the reality that you don't have to wait till everything's made right. He doesn't have to return the second time for you to feel the love of your Father. He wants to bring it right here, right now, to the spot that you're in. And Jesus even taught us how we can engage with our Father in Matthew chapter 6. This is what he says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In this short prayer, Jesus teaches us a lot. But one of the things that he teaches us is how to engage with our Father, what we can ask Him. What we can come and ask Him without any reservations, without any questions. And these are some of the things that He teaches us. The first thing is that we can ask our Father for His kingdom to come, for His will, His way, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this may not seem like the world's greatest thing for you to be able to ask of Him, if you haven't asked for this very many times. But when you have, something begins to change inside of you. When you start to ask for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be the only will, for his way to be the only way, you start to realize that that is a good thing. That there's something much better in that than in you just kind of living within the systems that you see around us. You want to see his kingdom come. You want to see his will be done on earth. When we begin to realize that, we begin to get really tired of all the other kingdoms that are around us, all the other options that are there. We want our father to be king. And we want our father to be king because he tells us that we can ask him for what we actually need. So what do you need? Let's be practical for you in your heart right now. What do you need your father to do? How do you need him to, encounter, to come and to break into your life today? Do you need healing? Do you need comfort? Do you need provision? Are you struggling financially? Are you you worried about how things are going to work out in a certain situation in your life? Are you worried about how things are going to work out for your family, for some friends? Are there people that you're worried about right now? Are you dealing with depression or other mental illness? Where do you need God to be? The most normal thing that we could ask of God when we actually know him as father is for him to do what we actually need. For instance, when I was a kid, well, not a kid, 20, I won't say that's a kid. I'm not that old, you know. Uh, But when I was younger, and I was broke, which was often when I was younger, and my car had issues, need new tires, need new brakes, something was wrong. My first call was always to my dad. He may not have always appreciated that. But I knew who my first call was going to be to. Who's your first call? Who are you going to when you have something that you need? We can ask our Father for forgiveness, Jesus tells us, because we all screw up and our apologies matter a lot, especially with people that we love just because you know that he's going to forgive you doesn't mean that you should push it off until later. Just because you have shame over the thing that you're asking him for forgiveness for doesn't mean that you should run away from it and hide from it and just keep doing what it is that you're doing. Being ashamed shouldn't mean that you're cutting off communication. It means that it's time to get even closer to your father. Because remember, your father chose you knowing everything. He's not surprised. That might be like the most embarrassing thing that I could possibly say to you, but God's not surprised about how you screw up at all. Doesn't shock him in the least. So stop letting it be the thing that causes you to run away from him. He's not put off. He just wants you to draw closer. Are you willing to do that in those places? He read the whole write-up and he still called your name. And the last thing along with that that we need to do is we need to ask our Father for freedom. It says, deliver us. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. You have been loved and chosen by a God who has all the power. I'm talking about Four times ten. This is serious. There's a lot that he has. He has the ability to bring freedom from anything. He needs to be your first call because he's not going to be put off by it. It's not going to be something that he can't handle. He can handle it. He wants to handle it because he loves you deeply. He chose you. The king of the kingdom that will one day rule everything chose you. The Savior of all humanity chose you. The creator of all things throughout all time chose you. And he calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. You look like him. You look like him. There's no question about it. The similarities there The family resemblance is real. You can't run from it, even if he's wearing a mustache with an ungodly-looking, poofy sweater. It's still there. We can still see him in you, because you're his kids. Each one of us. So where do we go from here? Well, we stop running, and we actually allow him to embrace us. What I want to do is I want us to watch this story from a man named Floyd McClung about a woman in Amsterdam. And if the worship team wants to come up while this is playing as well.
1: One of the things that we used to do in Amsterdam at Christmas time is we, we would throw a party because it was Jesus' birthday, somebody came up with this idea, I can't remember who it was, and said, Hey, at Christmas time we should not be giving each other presents. We should like give presents to Jesus. So we said, okay, what would that look like? So we sat around and we kind of imagined, what would it be like to throw a Christmas party for Jesus, and it's his birthday, and we'll give him presents. So we just let everybody kind of create their own uh, idea of what that would look like. So we gathered together, right on the edge of the red light district, one evening, and we started the whole process, and we let people come and bring whatever they wanted to, to bring. People made things, people wrote poetry, They did songs, some people cooked cookies for Jesus, and then we helped Jesus eat the cookies. While we were were in the middle of this celebration, the celebrating Jesus' birthday, a lady walked in who we all knew, who lived on a certain street and worked as a prostitute. She came in with a couple kids in tow. Uh, She had sequin top on and hair piled up, platinum color and uh, we had been very engaged with her life and she was on a journey to jesus but she had so many images in her mind that were blocking her coming to god her pain had shaped her image of god what other people had said to her the scripts that had been created for her the relationships in her family her experiences with with christians and here she sat and watched us do this. And at one point, she couldn't kind of contain herself anymore. And she just kind of impulsively stood up and came forward and was excited. But then embarrassed herself because she didn't have anything to give to Jesus. And she stood there and she, she started crying. And then she knelt down in front of us. And she said, I don't have anything else to give to Jesus but myself myself.
0: I don't have anything else to give to Jesus but myself. I think that's such a beautiful statement because it's all that he ever wanted. That's it. Nothing else. Just you. Are you willing to give that to him today? Are you willing to let the one who read your whole write-up put his full attention on you? Are you willing? to let him choose you to allow that reality to sink in today. Let's stand. I want to pray and then we're going to transition to a time of singing, of worship. But here's what I want us to do as we switch, switch gears a little bit. If you're willing, just put your hands out. I just want to ask simply the father to let us know that he's here with us so let's pray father we just ask right now that you will just turn your eyes towards each and every one of us we want to encounter your love this morning We want to be. We want to see that change us. We want something to be different. So we just come to you, asking for what you taught us that we can ask Jesus. We ask for what we need. We ask for your kingdom to come. We ask for forgiveness. And we beg. We cry out for freedom. Will you show yourself to? your children this morning and if there's any of us here who have never encountered you i pray that this morning will change that this morning that we will all walk away knowing who you are and how much you love us in jesus name amen